Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Carbon Curve. I'm your host, Naeem Merchant, and this is a podcast about the policies, technologies, and collective action needed to remove billions of tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and fend off the worst effects of climate change. In the last year, carbon removal news has been dominated by policy wins in the United States. But we know that climate change is the ultimate collective action problem. And I've been keen to learn what other jurisdictions are doing to scale carbon removal globally. The EU is likely to be a big player in the carbon removal field. And my guest today will tell us about a number of meaningful policy developments underway that will have serious implications for the carbon removal field across Europe and around the world. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to your favorite podcast app or at carboncurve.substack.com. Okay, let's get started. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Sebastian Manhart. Sebastian is a climate advocate, leveraging his skills and experience to support policymakers in making better decisions for our planet. He is the senior policy advisor for Carbon Future, the world's leading platform for high-quality carbon dioxide removal. Sebastian is also the chair of the board of the DVNE, the German Carbon Removal Association, as well as a founding director of the U.S. Biochar Coalition, a trade association unifying the voice of the U.S. biochar industry. Previously, Sebastian spent a decade as a tech entrepreneur, advised Angela Merkel's chancellery, and worked with governments globally through the World Bank. Sebastian is an economist with a BA from UCL and an MPhil from Cambridge University. Carbon Future is the trust infrastructure for durable carbon removal with two products that seamlessly connect the entire carbon removal lifecycle. Carbon Future MRV Plus, the most comprehensive MRV solution for durable carbon removal, and the Carbon Future Marketplace, the leading marketplace for durable CDR. Carbon Future empowers suppliers by providing the essential project support and finance needed to transform their carbon removal projects into fully certified carbon credits. For Kemper buyers, Carbon Future offers access to portfolios of carbon removal credits adhering to the established third-party standards. Sebastian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And maybe something that I, I think you don't know yet is you got me into, into CDR with this podcast. With uh, this podcast? I remember listening. Yeah, you uh, an episode between you and Chris Nidal was the first time I heard the word CDR. And very we've cool. come full circle now. So yeah, I'm very glad to be here. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that an episode inspired you to take a look at this space. And I hope it does that for more people. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this, um, <laughs> to get really smart people like you, who I've worked with in your previous career in, exactly. in, uh, in tech and international development and and bring you into uh, bring you into the carbon removal world. Um, so the space is lucky to have you. I'm really glad that, oh. uh, that you're working on this. And Thanks for bringing me into it. Yeah, absolutely. Like thrilled to have you on this podcast. And I think it's mostly because um, it's an excuse for me and you to catch up, but also mm. to, to talk about a lot of the really great work that I've been seeing coming from you around European climate policy and that climate policy landscape. And I was wondering if you kick things off with you giving me a sense of, you know, what's the 30,000 feet overview of the European climate policy landscape? Yeah, sure. So maybe for starters, the EU has 27 member states, right? And EU policy, think of it as the legislative floor that all member states uh, can go beyond, but can not go below. And it's the same for climate policy. So Europe today has 2.7 gigatons of CO2 emissions per year. And it has a net zero target for 2050 and a 55% reduction target by 2030. 
Um, currently, there's nothing for 2040, but the EU is working on it. But I think that's kind of the, the very broad spectrum of, uh, of what we're targeting. Now, within Europe, we've got three key pieces of legislation that are helping us get to net zero. The Emission Trading Scheme, or ETS, the Effort Sharing Regulation, or ESR, and the Land Use, land use Change and Forestry, or LULUCF. Now, these three are really, really important because they have existed for a while. And that is what we'll use in the next 20, 30 years to get to net zero. So maybe first, just quick overview on each. The ETS, which I think many have already heard about, it's at the EU level. It's a cap and trade system with the aim to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And it's focused on, you know, the heavy emitting sectors. So power and heat generation, oil refineries, iron and steel production. And together, it's around 40% of the EU's emissions. So the ETS is around 40% of the emissions. Then the effort sharing regulation covers the rest of the other sectors. So we have transportation, buildings, waste, agriculture. It's around 60% of the EU's emissions. And it's very different. It's actually operating at a member state level, not an EU level. And wealthier countries have higher targets and there's more autonomy in terms of how to reach them. And then the final one, the LULUCF, this is really natural land, things, forests. It, it is a carbon sink, but, you know, that's kind of changing at the moment due to the, the poor quality of soils, wildfires. Um, so the LULUCF has really been struggling. But yeah, a lot more to talk about, a lot more nuance, but I would say kind of the ESR, the ETS, and the LULUCF are the three key vehicles that people should be familiar with. So where does carbon removal fit into all of this and, and what role is it currently playing? Definitely. I mean, to date, let's, let's be honest, CDR barely is barely mentioned in EU climate policy. This is gonna change because I mean, everyone knows we cannot reach net zero without CDR and Europe is well aware of this. And according to, to the EU commission's own estimates, we need to remove 550 megatons of CO2 every year by 2050 in Europe alone. So that there's an acknowledgement, but there's a lot of work that needs to go into, into getting us there. Um, the main vehicle where CDR is being integrated into EU climate policy is the Carbon Removal Certification Framework, or CSCF, which I'd love to talk more about because that's really, that's the key building block that will be slotted into all the other pieces of legislation, including the ETS that you just mentioned. Um, and again, the other really important one is 2040 targets. I'm super excited that this process has been kicked off. Uh, hopefully next year, I think early next year, we should have a 2040 target hopefully with dedicated CDR targets, maybe even twin targets, because at the moment we only have a target for LULUCF, 310 megatons by 2030. We have a non-binding target for industrial and novel CDR of five megatons by 2030, but that's A, non-binding and P, too small. And, and third, uh, we've got a storage target of 50 megatons by 2030. So we're getting there, but uh, really we, it's very early days in terms of integrating CDR into EU policy. And just to clarify, you mentioned something about, you know, a recognition that we're going to need 550 megatons of CDR carbon removal by 2050 in Europe. Um, is there a breakdown of how much of that is going to come from afforestation and soil, soil carbon sequestration versus kind of some of the more long duration methods like direct air capture and enhanced weathering and so on? Is there any attempt to kind of delineate these two? Uh, approaches to getting to that 550 megaton scale? Not yet, as far as I'm familiar. So I know that we have a 2030 target, right, for LULUCF of 310 megatons. And then we have this kind of estimate by the commission for 2050 of 550 megatons. So we could do some maths, assuming that, you know, LULUCF won't grow 
its capacity that much, but I, I still don't think I haven't seen hot numbers on this so far. That's helpful. But there is, I mean, there is a kind of an acknowledgement that carbon removal is going to play a pretty meaningful role in achieving net zero when we're starting at, I think you mentioned it's like over two gigatons of emissions today and recognizing yeah. getting to net zero, then, then we're talking about 550 megatons for uh, carbon removal. And we haven't specified methods, but car carbon removal broadly uh, by 2050 to reach net zero. And, and that's the big picture right now. Does that sound right? Exactly. That's as far as numbers go. Um, that's what I found. That's what the, you can get out of uh, kind of European institutions. Uh, but again, not enough specificity. I hope that the 2040 targets will be the first time that we'll see the hot numbers broken down by emission reduction and carbon removal. And so hopefully by early 2024, we should actually have, you know, binding, hopefully CDR targets across 27 countries, which would be amazing. Yeah, that would, that would be amazing. And you mentioned the carbon removal certification framework uh, or CRCF. I, I hear this come up a lot and admittedly, I don't think I grasp the entire scale of it. It seems like it's potentially very impactful if done well, but there seems to be a lot of moving pieces and a lot of different interests at play. And it seems quite complex, the process as it exists today. And so I was wondering if you can just briefly explain what it is and why it's so important. Yeah. So for me, the CSTF is probably the most exciting piece of CDR legislation in Europe, maybe globally. Um, you know, for Europe, it will be, as I already mentioned, um, the building block needed for EU climate policy and net zero. But for the world, it might become a gold standard, similar to what, you know, think of GDPR and data protection, right? Like it wouldn't be the first time that the EU kind of sets the gold standard on legislation. Um, so the CSCF, as the name says, you know, carbon removal certification, it's really focused on defining methods to certify quality carbon removal. Um, it uses three categories. Again, this was one of the points of criticism, these arbitrary categories. It has carbon farming, carbon products, and permanent carbon removal. I'll quickly break that down. So in carbon farming, you have the nature-based solution. So, you know, soil carbon, afforestation, reforestation. Carbon product is a huge spectrum. This is one of the challenges. It can be anything from very short-lived carbon product to, you know, long-lived, I don't know, concrete product. So it's a huge range right now. And then you have um, the permanent carbon removal category, probably the most interesting for, for people working on industrial removals. It's defined as at least several centuries of durability. It starts off with direct air capture and bioenergy with carbon capture and storage only, but we're seeing very likely an inclusion of uh, biochar carbon removal in it as well. There's been a lot of criticism, I would say. The ones that I would really highlight would be first that there's some emission reductions in the CDR framework, uh, especially peatland restoration focus, which is a bit cynical because this should really be a carbon removal framework. There's an excessive focus on carbon farming, in my view, and I think a lot of other people agree. But again, that's driven by a lot of political interests. And a unit of carbon farming is not yet clearly differentiated from a unit of permanent removal, which could be a huge issue. And probably most importantly, there's no talk about how it's going to be used. The commission is adamant about only focusing on certification and not and leaving it to others in terms of how it's going to be used. But the impacts are going to be huge. So it would really be helpful to talk about the use and the application early on. 
Uh, on the positive side, you know, for me, the CRCF is, this is the first time anyone has done this in history. We've got almost 100 experts gathered by the EU Commission all over the world. We've got top EU parliamentarians. We've got the EU Council. They're all diving deep and negotiating for years to answer the question of how we certify carbon, which I think is just amazing. Um, and maybe in terms of impact, what will happen? You know, short term, again, this is my interpretation, my hypothesis, but short term, it will have a big impact on the voluntary carbon market, the VCM. If I'm a buyer, I will be looking to the CSCF for signaling. You know, what makes it into the permanent category? What doesn't? Medium term, integration into EU legislation, potentially influencing, you know, EU public procurement. So I think we could see a big impact in terms of how governments like Germany, France, and so on, start procuring CDR in the next three to five years. And long-term, you mentioned this, how will this fit into compliance markets? The CSCF will be a building block for the ETS. So it's hugely important. Uh, it will, I think, make or break a little bit the path of CDI in Europe. And as I said, potentially even beyond. So when I think about the pathway for carbon removal scale-up, I think a lot about compliance markets. I think a lot about government procurement. And what it sounds like is the outcome of the CRCF could go many different directions, but certainly feels like a necessary kind of precondition in order for countries to be confidently procuring carbon removal through the public sector or integrating carbon removal into compliance markets. Do I have that right? I think you're, you're spot on there. I mean, outside of Europe, if you look at the UK, for example, um, they are looking at integration of CDR or greenhouse gases, as, as obviously they frame it there, um, already early into their UK ETS. And obviously, because they're not part of the EU bloc, it's understandable that they're kind of already moving ahead at their own pace. So we, we will see countries moving ahead. But if we think about the big prize, you know, the ETS is by far the largest compliance market in the world. We won't see movement there until and unless uh, the CSCF has set clear rules. And also put yourself into the shoes. I mean, I worked in government in Germany, right? If I'm in the German government and I'm thinking about a public procurement for CDR, I'm not going to go through this whole process if I know that the European Union is actually doing this and doing it really robustly, right? So I, I would imagine that um, a lot of folks will, will wait to see what happens in the CSCF and then really piggyback off it. Do we have a sense of when this process is going to come to completion? I know it's, it's always hard to predict exactly, but do you have a, a general sense? So without indulging your, your listeners into the whole EU policy process, let's put it this way. Um, there's three institutions working on this in parallel, the council, the commission, and the parliament. They have to go into what's called a trilogue, where essentially they negotiate with each other until they find an agreement. The trilogues could start as early as early next year. The problem is we have a European election in uh, June 2024. And so there's a chance that some of this might get done or at least an agreement found before the election. There's a chance that it won't and then it will be significantly delayed. So in terms of when it comes into force, I would say earliest early 2025. Okay. Given that there's, you know, some lead time between now and, and kind of when this, this could really be in place in a robust way, what other legislations beyond CRCF should people be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, really focused on, I would say, kind of the CDR crowd. I would say the 2040 targets, but the input has already happened and uh, the, the proposal will be released in early 2024, as I said. Then a really interesting one is the Green Claims Directive. 
This is essentially a legislative proposal designed to curb greenwashing in consumer-facing practices. And uh, as you can imagine, there's a huge role potentially for CDR here, um, with companies essentially trying to reduce risk by opting for higher trust, higher quality offsets. So green claims directive, I think, will be really important. We've got the Net Zero Industry Act, which despite its name, you know, Net Zero, you would imagine it's all about CDR. It's actually very little about CDR. It's mainly about um, CCS, industrial CCS. But still, it's going to talk a lot about CO2 transport, geological storage. So the Net Zero, Zero Industry Act is definitely one to follow. And finally, ETS CDR integration. The commission is supposed to put a proposal forward in 2026 which is far away from now, but they're actually already working on the knowledge gathering phase. And um, I've also given input, I know a lot of folks have. And so I think it's a good time to engage, especially with the ETS integration, because this is going to be, you know, potentially, this is the, the golden ticket for CDR, but it's quite a long way away from now. So I think it's worth work, starting work on it soon, even if it takes a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to double click on something you mentioned earlier around uh, twin targets and thinking about targets for carbon removal in, in 2040. I'm generally kind of in favor of such things because I think it, it kind of helps us right size the carbon removal sector uh, as relates to kind of getting to net zero. And I think in having targets for carbon removal, we can help address the, you know, if it's done well, I think that there's an opportunity to address some of the questions around moral hazard as it relates to carbon removal, and it assuages anyone's kind of fears that we're thinking about using carbon removal as some kind of silver bullet or distraction from job number one, which is to reduce emissions. I wanted to hear a little bit more about how, you know, how the EU is approaching twin targets or targets for carbon removal, because it's also something you could get wrong. You could over budget for the, how much carbon removal we would need or, or under budget. And so how do we, how do we address some of those potential weaknesses of, of setting targets so far off into the future, even though like philosophically, I think it makes sense to do it. I, I love that you bring this up and it's actually, I couldn't agree more with you. Like for me, targets have for me, two really important functions. One is the moral hazard, right? Like by being very clear in the differentiation between emission reduction and removals, it really helps us address this concern that a lot of the people and the public have. And second, uh, if we're just practical from a policy perspective, uh, targets lead to policy, lead to procurement, right? So we need targets if we want to have public procurement. And I found the, the survey that the EU published um, that a lot of folks probably who listen to this podcast have given input to uh, really interesting because it really bore out this this challenge that you're that you're discussing of where should we draw the line? You know, obviously we want a lot of carbon removal, but also really we we need more emission reduction. And if we don't do enough emission reduction, we actually need even more carbon removal. And so it, it really highlighted this nuance. And I think there wasn't any indication of which direction it's going to go. It was really an open input. But I'm really curious to see where it's going to draw the line between this kind of 55% target by 2030 and net zero by 2050. Because right now, this is the huge challenge we see everywhere, right? Like everyone's making 2050 targets, sometimes 2030, but there's nothing in between. And that blank space is creating a lot of uncertainty, which is not helping the sector. Um, so yeah, very keen to see where it's gonna draw the line. And you know, some countries are going beyond that. Germany, for example, is uh, setting 2035 targets. Switzerland has set 2035, 40, 45, and 50 targets already for CDR. So it's really interesting to see how uh, both Europe, but also nation states are 
recognizing the importance of targets, uh, both for the public and for policymaking. That's really great. And I'd love to see the, the work around the, the 20, 30, 35, 40 onwards kind of targets around CDR. I think more countries can, can learn from that experience. So that's really cool. And, and thinking about nation states, you know, earlier this month, you published an exclusive analysis of, of carbon removal across, you know, 31 individual European countries, which, which I've been tracking on LinkedIn and elsewhere. It's very, very uh, comprehensive. What prompted you to do this and, and what does it cover? Yeah, so maybe, um, you know, I should start with uh, my company, Carbon Future. Uh, I mean, you introduced it at the beginning. It's really focused on promoting high trust, durable carbon removal, right? And to succeed as a company, but also, frankly, fight the climate crisis, we need a thriving CDR industry, which needs supportive policy. And um, so when we started working at Carbon Future on EU policy, we noticed quickly that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of knowledge um, to do effective advocacy. Uh, so we, we went out there, we did analysis. We essentially spent four months um, looking at all 27 EU member states, the four most relevant non-EU member states, so Switzerland, UK, Norway, Iceland. And we tried to make sense of it to uh, understand where can we channel our resources, but always with the intention of mind of creating an asset that the community, the CDR community can use because there's so much shared interest when it comes to advocacy. You know, we have, we all want very same thing when it comes to the future of this industry. We looked at four things, you know, climate policy maturity, climate and ideally CDR targets, which we've spoken to all about already quite a bit, CDR policy and CCS policy, so point source CCS policy. And what came out was a really detailed analysis, which obviously I invite people to look at in detail. But we also did these country spotlights, which you might have seen these 15 country spotlights, the most relevant, I would say, advanced countries. And they're not just deep dives on the countries, but they're also, they were fantastic for me because I reached out to everyone I knew in that country, trying to gather the who's who working on CDI in each country. So if you are, for example, doing a trip to a European country and you want to know all the key people working on CDR, you can pick out one of these country spotlights and you have a great first list of companies and people to contact. Um, but maybe a couple of highlights. Um, I mean, read the report. There's a lot in there, but um, I would say kind of four Key takeaways for me were, first, um, we have some real champions, you know, Switzerland, Denmark, the UK, they're really leading the way with advanced policy frameworks for CDR. The Nordics as a geographic block are well ahead of the curve as well. Um, second, we had 11 countries with no CDR targets whatsoever. We've got another 11, which only have LULUCF targets. So you can, 22 basically don't have anything on industrial carbon removals. Portugal is the only country with a CDR target enshrined into law. So I think we have a lot of, uh, a lot of work to do on the targets front. There's a clear East-West divide. Uh, so, you know, the Western Europe is much more advanced on CDR than Eastern Europe, which I think is a great opportunity for economic development in Eastern Europe. And you see some countries like Croatia taking the lead here. And finally, um, Germany and France have not yet taken on a leadership role. This is something we need to change swiftly if we want to make progress. And it's something that we're working on very actively in Germany, but uh, yet so far they haven't yet gone into the lead leadership role. So yeah, uh, hope your listeners will, will have a look. Um, by the way, just a shout out, we did the same analysis for the US. We did an in-depth analysis of all 51 US states and their CDR policy maturity. So if people find this EU analysis interesting, they might also want to look at the US one. That's really great. And that's very useful content for folks. And, and I think that question comes up a lot. It's like, you know, what is country X doing or what is state Y doing about 
uh, carbon removal and to have you uh, step in and help kind of answer that and and provide that clarity in a very rapidly shifting industry is is tremendously valuable. Um, and, and since you brought up the U.S., I mean, what do you see, you know, as the key differences between um, between the U.S. and and the broader EU on on carbon removal policy? Because we've seen a lot of of coverage and attention around uh, around the the implications of of the U.S. policy on carbon removal starting to really pay dividends. Uh, but I know they've taken a different approach. So, what would you say are some of those key differences? Yeah, and I'm I'm in a very privileged position that I get to work on both. And you know, if you're working on CDR, if you cover the EU and the US, um, you know, that's where the majority of the action is. So, very happy to to draw some analysis out of that. And um, I would say, you know, in the US, it's really let's put steel in the ground as soon as possible. Incremental innovation. Let's start learning now. And you know, money is flowing. Uh, we've seen billions of dollars uh, being awarded, and some of it being uh, deployed as we speak. So uh, it's really exciting. You know, things are actually happening in the U.S. In the EU, it's a bit more timid. It's more the approach of getting it right from the beginning, focusing on definitions, focusing on regulation. It's a long process. We already said CSCF might be ready in 2025. But once ready, it's really, it's really going to drive scale up significantly, I believe. What they share is on the surface, I see a lot of uh, narratives around portfolio approach. So, you know, a tech agnostic portfolio approach. But let's call it out. I think that's just... On the surface, like if we look at what's actually happening, you know, in the US, it's direct air capture, direct air capture, direct air capture. We see some announcements now uh, for some pilots going beyond. But in the near future, if we follow the money, it's going to be largely DAC. And in the EU, it's DAC, BEX, increasingly biochar carbon removal, which is already a bit more varied, but it's still not a real portfolio approach. So I would say this is the main thing that they, they share, but they also, I hope we're going to see change especially when we think about other methods, whether it's ocean alkalinity or enhanced rock weathering, there's a lot of potential for other methods to be considered. But yeah, that's what I think they have in common, but also where they differ quite a bit. Yeah, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like a pretty clear articulation of the differences. And you're right, in the US, there's a very very strong focus on direct air capture, it feels like, and, and we're not seeing some of these emerging methods of uh, enhanced weathering or ocean-based CDR methods that are that are getting the kind of policy support that we know that they'll need. So it's, it's an opportunity. I know I've been thinking a lot about this in, in terms of my work with Carbon Removal Canada and, you know, what are the openings for, uh, for Canada to play a leadership role? And, and certainly seeing the U.S. and the EU kind of double down on these incumbent technologies, which we need, and they are more ready for commercial scale and are going to be very important to the broader picture, obviously. But, but there appears to be a bit of an opening on some of these emerging methods but there's certainly an opportunity there for uh, for individual nations uh, to to look at as uh, as part of their their carbon removal strategy and thinking about how do we differentiate against you know something like the Inflation Reduction Act uh, and and the and the bipartisan infrastructure law that puts in a lot of money into um, into mostly I, I think direct air capture related investments yeah. for for carbon removal. I, I completely agree. And I think there's a huge opportunity. I've been doing a lot of work on enhanced uh, rock weathering recently with a bunch of companies because I really think that's a very underappreciated, potentially hugely scalable, permanent uh, CDR pathway. And frankly, that's also where uh, Carbon Future kind of sees this gap and is really walking into that gap because we, we see that uh, MRV will be absolutely crucial. And for things like enhanced weathering, 
biochar, biomass tracking in general, you know, these are all opportunities where if we can build robust MRV products um, that, you know, are digital, automated, scalable, end-to-end, we can really reduce um, the, the risk factor and the complexity for policymakers. Uh, and we can make it more, more likely that these methods will be considered and get funding. So this is, as you said, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a gap right now. But I also see it as a huge opportunity, both for nation states and companies uh, to, to fill and to take advantage of. Yeah, that's very cool. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here before I move on. Um, you mentioned the different approaches around the EU trying to get definitions right, standards right, um, you know, getting some of these conceptual pieces together. And in the, in the U.S. is a focus on like, let's just build and iterate and learn. And, and it certainly came up on a panel that I was able to facilitate at DAC Summit, where we had kind of, you know, U.S. and, and EU perspectives on, on carbon removal policy. And I could definitely sense that tension, right, of, of let's get steel on the ground versus let's get the definitions right, um, you know, and, you know, let's learn as we go versus let's try to get this right and then, and then start scaling. What do you think makes more sense? What do you think is going to win out? And I, I really love that panel, by the way. I was there as well. And uh, that's where I, I also got some of this, this, this takeaway from. Um, so for me, we, we need both, right? Um, like if we just take the European approach and we wait, we, there's a huge opportunity cost. We lose out on two or three years, four years, five years, who knows, of learning. If we just take the US approach and um, potentially, you know, if it's basically right now, I have the feeling that um, money is being channeled to, to basically one technology, which is a huge gamble. Um, it could work out fine, but also it might not work out, right? And then uh, if we don't have an alternative pathway, we're kind of stuck. So I'm really happy that we're seeing both of these. And I think they're very complementary because one is pushing the industry forward, getting us to learn from real experience. But the other one is I, I, I'm a big fan of legislation. I've worked as well in crypto, uh, in government, which was an interesting role. And I've seen what happens when an industry tries to scale without sufficient legislation in place. It doesn't really work. So again, I think we need both. I'm really happy we're getting two shots on target. Uh, and I'm excited to see how both of them work out. Yeah, that's very cool. And, and let's, t let's shift gears a little bit and talk about something you've been working on. We've recently seen the launch of the EU's first national carbon removal association in Germany, the DVNE. And on top of your day job, you've led the creation of it and are, you know, now it's uh, chair of the board. Uh, can you tell us more about why you decided to launch the DVNE and, and uh, for my benefit, help me pronounce it as well <laughs> and, uh, and, and tell me a little bit more about what it's about? Yeah, it's the, it's the Deutsche Verein für Negative Emission. I don't expect you to be able to pronounce that. So DVNE for short. But basically, you know, we need German leadership on CDR. Germany is the fourth biggest economy in the world. It's the largest economy in Europe. And where Germany goes, Europe often follows. Um, I mean, again, I worked in Angela Merkel's chancery as an advisor on EU policy. So when I, 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 I saw what happened when I showed up in Brussels saying, you know, Angela Merkel or Germany wants this. It, it kind of gets to move things, right? And that's what we need. Until last November, I didn't really see a lot of opportunity. Uh, but then there's been a really interesting U-turn by, um, there's a green minister for economic affairs called Robert Habeck, and he's performing this U-turn on carbon management. And he's from the same party that got us into the deadlock on carbon management in the first place. So um, for me, it's really fascinating to follow. And so he, they're planning to overturn the ban on CO2 transport and storage for chickens in Germany. 
They've struck deals with Norway and Belgium for CO2 storage. And there's clearly a window, an open window to move now. So I started in April to just, you know, have chats. And it went from open chats from three people to 20 to almost 100 and resulted in the founding of uh, the DVNE uh, in July, late July. So for me, this was super exciting to see how much momentum we could gather. And um, the objective, quite simply, of the DVNE is to help Germany get to net zero by 2045. It has a 2045 net zero target, exceeding the EU's one, and net negative thereafter. Um, now, why? what's unique about Germany? Why can Germany, I think, uh, become a leader? We're betting on three factors that are pretty unique to Germany together. First, the industrial prowess of Germany, right? Like we've got a ton of leading companies, whether I think, you know, from, from SAP to Siemens to the big car makers, we've got really strong industrial prowess in Germany. Second, we've got a flourishing CDI ecosystem. I was fascinated to see who was coming out of the woodworks when I started this process. There's, you know, dozens, if not more, of companies that are across the spectrum of CDR doing incredible work in Germany. And third, academic excellence, both in research and development for CDR on the technical level, but also, you know, if you think about state of CDR, you know, Oliver Gaden, Young Minks, we've got great academics in Germany. So if we can bring these three together, we can really move the needle. And for me, it was really satisfying to see just how quickly we got this off the ground, you know, from first chat to launch with 31 founding members and initial funding for at least a year took us around four months, which for me was testament that, you know, there's a lot of desire to get Germany into the right place. It's very cool to see that kind of a momentum happening in, in more countries. And I totally agree. I mean, it seems like Germany has all of these strengths that can be leveraged in a way that could really make it a leader on carbon removal. So all, all amazing developments. That's fascinating how quickly things can turn around and a testament why it's important to start engaging actors quickly around the opportunity here. And, and you've been able to do that and, and translate that into the formation of a new association that I think could do a lot of great work. So, so what's lined up for the DVNE and, and what are you hoping to achieve in, you know, 2023 and, and 2024? So for 2023, um, our goals are, you know, first we need to set up an operational team in Berlin, an executive director, a policy manager, a comms manager. So if any of your listener are interested, get in touch. We want to map and start engaging the key stakeholders across policy, industry, academia, civil society, we're going to host our official launch event in Berlin on December the 12th. Again, if you're interested, get in touch. We want to secure more funding. We have a funding gap of around 500K for the next two years. So uh, please, uh, if you're a funder interested and you've, you can see this catalytic opportunity of the first EU CDR association, we'd love to hear from you. And we want to expand the membership base. We have 31 members, which is way more than I expected for the founding. And a bunch have gotten in touch since the, the launch. Uh, but again, if your company either operating in Germany or interested in Germany as a strategic location, uh, we'd love to hear from you. But then in parallel and really 2024, we need to ramp up our work on specific high leverage policies. We mentioned, you know, 2035 targets are going to be set. There's a carbon management strategy in the works. There's a CDR strategy in the works, all of which is going to get done in this legislative period. So the next two years. So we really, really need to move. And, um, we see huge potential. We think if Germany can get into place, become a leader on CDI as the fourth largest economy in the world, start public procurement, uh, we could really see a lot, of, a lot of change in Europe and beyond. So super excited. And yeah, get in touch if any of the things that I just mentioned sounds interesting or relevant to you. Wow. All of that sounds interesting to me. It also sounds like the last six months of my life 
in terms of getting something set up. It's, I know it's hard work, so it's, it's, um, it's great that you're at the, at the helm of helping make that all happen. You also mentioned that there's going to be, uh, or there are plans to develop a separate carbon removal strategy from a carbon management strategy. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's what needs to happen. I, I know that it's, I feel like I often am playing kind of the role of, of word police on these things, but it feels like carbon removal getting bunched in with carbon management, I don't think is ideal for, for establishing a, a strategy for what to do. I, I think that there's a benefit in treating it very distinctly because of the role that it can play is so unique and it, it kind of gets diluted in the broader carbon management, or if you want to call it CCUS discussion. And I think one way to solve that is to just, you know, peel it off as its own thing and think about what a, a strategy specific to carbon removal really looks like. D does that sound right to you? I mean, I completely agree. And we see it here, right? The carbon management strategy is the classic example where it's really focused on industrial point source CCS. There's kind of a role for some BECs, uh, maybe some DACs, but um, it's not CDR proper, right? And so if, if sometimes my, people might feel, ah, but CDR is already dealt with by the carbon management strategy. No, it's not. So I'm really glad to see that in this case, we have a separate work stream on it. And again, what we need, in my view, is dedicated CDR targets, ideally not just 2050. You know, 2035 is great. 2030 plus dedicated definition. I mean, the CDR strategy, which really is defining MRV, quality, additionality, all the good stuff that we need to agree on. If we have those two on a national basis, uh, I think we can really move on the topic and start public procurement, which is where we need to get. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, that's exciting. That's exciting news. Um, I, around these new positions that you're, you're hiring for. Um, so folks should get in touch if there's a link that we can, um, we can link to in the show notes, uh, Sebastian, let me know. I'd love to make sure that's, that's available to folks so that they can apply. I think we want to be able to help. One of the key points of this podcast is to bring more people into the carbon removal world, people who are listening and interested in giving them a formal pathway to working in this space. Um, because I think that the, um, the skills from technical engineering, social sector, all of these different expertise and backgrounds are going to be so relevant to building out this industry. It's going to be a very diverse set of professional skill sets, and we need to get people in the right place quickly in order to realize the very ambitious plans people have around, around carbon removal and, and hitting net zero by 2050 and, and thinking about what comes after that. So it's, it's a big job in front of us, and it's great that DB&E is out there and that there's an opportunity for more people to get formally involved with the carbon removal world. And that's actually just too quick. I mean, we started the conversation with this, right? How I got into this, listening to this podcast. But for me, it's one of the most rewarding things to see people transitioning into the sector. And the DVE actually have had a bunch of folks that I knew from my, you know, my days in the government uh, expressing how they really wanted to work on CDR now. As late as, you know, as early as Monday, uh, my partner started working in CDR. And so this is, uh, yeah, for me, super exciting. I love when I see talented people getting into the space. And maybe to address your, your initial point, the website's not up and running yet, but you can just write to info at dvne.org, info at dvne.org. And uh, yeah, just get in touch and we'll, we'll, we'll engage from there. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's, it's really rewarding seeing more people uh, get into the space. It's, it's, uh, it, carbon removal is, is fundamentally a, a hopeful effort. And I think for folks who want to um, want to take something on on climate change that feels you know hopeful and 
innovative and complex. You know, it's not, it's not all quite easy. There's, there's a lot of complexity and nuance around it. If you're looking for all of those things, uh, carbon removals, definitely the space for you to work and, and hope folks can reach out around the, the roles at db and And I, and I almost hesitate to ask because you're already doing so much, but beyond Germany, what are you focused on in Europe for the second half of the year? What's, what's, what are exciting developments that our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of moving targets, but I would, I would pick out two that um, I think could be relevant for a lot of folks. So first it's the EU ETS CDR integration. It's a really hot topic. You know, everyone's talking about compliance markets and CDR. This is where it gets real. And it's a long way away, you know, it's still in the early days, but it, that's exactly why we should engage now. That's why we should start thinking about what it could look like. We should talk to policymakers. We should engage with each other. I'm really excited about discussing EU ETS CDR integration in the second half of this year and trying to feed that into the political process as soon as we can. Now, the second one is the CRCF. There's a couple of big deadlines. In October, the EU parliament will vote on its final proposal. This is a really big day. Um, and uh, which means September is really the time to uh, have final chats with uh, parliamentarians. And on October 25th and 26th, the EU Commission expert group is meeting again, specifically for two days on industrial removals. This is going to be live streamed. You can engage, you can participate online. And I really recommend doing it. It's going to be super important. And again, two days with the smartest people working on CDR in the world talking about industrial removal. So uh, not to be missed. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, I, I know we all spoke about the US. I know there's a lot of focus on the US with the DOE announcements and the money for that, which we're all super excited about. But um, I can really see Europe becoming a leader on the policy side, on a range of tech, like biomass-based ones. And so people interested in that should uh, definitely engage with the CSCF and beyond. Very cool. Sebastian, any other ways folks can get in touch with you, learn more about all the other pieces that you're working on with Carbon Future, DVNE? Um, how do people just reach out to you and, and learn more about what you're doing? So uh, really, I would say two channels. One is directly, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I put a lot of content out there. So follow me on LinkedIn, get connected there. The second one is carbonfuture.earth. Uh, we have a newsletter, which I also contribute to on the policy side, but um, we launched it a couple of months ago. Oh, it's really great. Subscribe to that. And yeah, maybe finally, if you're interested in the DBNE, uh, for now, follow us on LinkedIn. Very soon, we'll have a website up and running and get in touch through info.dbne.org. Fantastic. Sebastian, thank you so much for all you're doing. I think you are addressing some really big needs in the CDR space, and I'm really excited to see where this all goes from here. Uh, and just grateful that uh, someone with your expertise, your relationships, your entrepreneurship uh, is now in the CDR sector and, and just doing so much to contribute. So thank you for all you're doing, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, Naeem, and uh, same to you. I'm very impressed by the work you're doing, and thanks for providing this platform as well. Thank you.